We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 24. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined by Ty Windish as always on this episode where the Bucks have done it. It feels like they've won the title, but they're not quite there yet, but they have clinched a spot in the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001, beating the Celtics uh, into submission virtually by the end of this series. 116-91, they win in Game 5 last night, Ty, and this series in the end, when you look back at it, it was not close. No, it's it's so funny that. You know, we, we've talked a little bit since that game one about how reactionary literally everyone was. And I'll, I'll lump myself in there. I was probably more concerned than I should have been. But uh, some of the takes, obviously, Paul Pierce's being the most uh, uh, cold in retrospect and at the time, honestly. Just it felt like after game three, I think, is when I really was like, oh, this might be a five-game series. And then it ended up being so – and. Just really, I think we're, it's almost it's easy to kind of underrate how good the Bucks have been this playoffs. I mean, you look at total losses. Every other team left has more losses this round than the Bucks have all playoffs so far. I mean, it's outside of that one off game, been about as dominant of a postseason run as you could ask for. No, it has been, and I, you know, again, this is from. You know, obviously, I, I cover the Bucks. I report on the Bucks and 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 the whole league. I guess in general, as we both do, we watch a lot of basketball, and we're we're both on Twitter a lot. And honestly, I I just don't know. I mean, if you had have watched the Bucks, and this is why when people say, "Are you surprised that this series worked out the way that it did?" Well, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, when we go back to the episode before the series, I said that I thought the Bucks could very easily win this series in five games. 
I did think that they were going to win the first two at home and then that was going to be their path uh, to winning in five games. But I'm not really, like, I, I can't sit here and say that I'm stunned that they won the series in five games. They've done this all year. They've been so good. And the big thing about the Bucks, they play together. They are a team. And when you come up against a team like Boston, I don't know why the the theory was that they were all of a sudden just going to click their fingers and every single problem they've had all season was going to disappear. Why would it disappear at this point in the year when they've played 82 games uh, fighting with each other and, 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 and trying to take over games and, and play unselfish basketball? I don't get it. Um, I, I don't think Boston – and look, I don't want to like tarnish the whole Boston fan base, but they've – they're pretty – I mean, outside of what's going on in Boston, they're pretty unaware of anything else that's happening. Happens in the national media. Paul Pierce, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> I just – I mean, it, the way that the narrative of this series coming in for people outside of Milwaukee is is was a little bit shocking because when you look back at the series now and the way that it panned out, Bucks have had the number one defense all year. They've been an offensive juggernaut all year. Giannis is the MVP. That lends themselves to winning through, getting through the second round pretty comfortably. And uh, after game one, as I said, it, uh, it it wasn't close. Yeah, and I still think a lot of people don't really grasp just how good this Bucks team is. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people went. I mean, we we'll, we'll talk about the next series more when it's finally determined. We're recording this on around noon on Thursday, so Raptors six are still going on. Seems like the Raptors are going to win. I'm sure. A lot of people are going to favor the Raptors because Kawhi Leonard's been there before and whatever else, who cares? And it's just like, whatever. I mean, we saw what team was the best team all regular season. We've seen what team has been the best team in the playoffs so far. I don't know what else the Bucks could possibly do to prove that they are very, very legitimate, but uh, I guess they'll just keep on winning until people don't really have a choice at this point. Yeah, and in a lot of ways last night, and this was yeah something we sort of discussed that if – uh, the Bucks were able to get an early lead in this game. And you felt that Boston, the wheels could really, really, really fall off quickly. I, you know, I, I will give some credit uh, to the Celtics. I, I thought that despite clearly uh, just having a horrific night shooting the ball, and again, of, of course, some of that credit has to go to Milwaukee and, and some of that blame has to go on the Celtics for some of the shots, shots they were taking. But... I do. I will say that I did think that Boston missed a lot of pretty good looks early in the game, and and despite that, they held on to at least you know sort of that late in the third quarter where it was within ten points, and they were close enough that if they were able to hit a couple of baskets, things could get a little shaky for the Bucks. But uh, in the end, when when you look at at this win for the Bucks, I think it's the the absolute typical Bucks win. Giannis really unable to 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 uh to sort of get free offensively in the first half despite that fact the bucks were winning big and they were getting contributors across the board uh, they have seven guys in double digits uh you know Ilya over 10 points george hill 16 uh brogdon we're going to talk a lot about later on he finishes with 10 pat conan's being a bench contributor so again the bench 49 points uh this is what this bucks team is built on and to me again uh, I thought it was just a, another um, effort led by Giannis in terms of the pace, the tempo, uh, how he controlled the game. He finished with 20 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. But as we've seen with this team, it's always a, a, a group effort. And again, I thought last night in clinching uh, this game, they just had too many contributors for the Celtics. Yeah, I think it's kind of... It, it's. 
Honestly, it's even surprising to me because I think I had been so from the last few postseasons, it just seemed like, you know, the teams with the deep benches didn't necessarily always do as well in the postseason. But I think it's I think Milwaukee might be a little different because it's not like the Bucks don't do like five out units where they're gonna bring in five bench guys, especially not anymore. They just have a lot of good players on that bench that they can sort of rotate in and swap with some starters and have a lot of good looks. I mean, I think the if you go with like a five person bench mob, that might not work in the playoffs because you get, you know, some some backups going against some really good players who are going to play 40 minutes or whatever. But I just think Milwaukee having so many guys who it's very obvious, you know, Mike Budenholzer has absolute trust in playing and there are a few he doesn't trust that we'll hear a lot about on Twitter that it's the worst thing in the world that those guys aren't playing. But I think, you know, now with, with Brogdon back, it's probably nine guys who I don't know if all nine play a lot every night, but there are nine guys for sure that Mike Budenholzer knows he can plug in for certain situations. And, you know, the best two or three of those bench players, especially George Hill, have just been such a absolute difference maker in picking up any time the, the starters need the lift. Those guys have been there. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's a key point. And I will say, when you talk about bench players in the playoffs and potentially, um, you know, you're struggling in those situations, we saw the Milwaukee bench, or really Milwaukee outside of Giannis and Chris last year, have a disastrous playoffs. But the difference between uh, last year and this year is how well uh, Bud has managed these guys all season long. Because these guys playing major minutes in the playoffs right now have played major minutes all year. And I will say another thing I'll add to that. Uh, I've seen a lot of talk through the season, and not just through this season, and not just with Bucks fans, but um, just general basketball um, followers or, or people in the media that sort of thought that it was a negative that Bud does like to ride those vets. He's a guy that trusts his veterans. We, we know that Ersan's a favorite of his, but when you look at the box score through these playoffs and you look at the guys that are playing and, and the role players, so. They're all new to the Bucks. Miritich, yes, he's starting right now, but this is a guy that was coming off the bench. He's been there before. He's been in the playoffs the last few years. George Hill, won a championship, started in the finals last year. Veteran, been there, done that. Ersan Uisova's been in the playoffs plenty of time. Was in the second year, uh, second round last year. Uh, Pat Connaughton's another guy that's been, that's played in playoffs, guys, uh, playoff games with the Blazers. So I think that you can look at playing some of these veterans as much as he did through the season as a negative, but we're really, really seeing that payoff right now. And I think that this is a championship trait that you see with teams. There's not too many championship teams out there that you look at where they're right. And again, this is not a knock on these guys. And I know this was something that Brian Butch on our last episode. It's not a knock on Sterling Brown. It's definitely not a knock on DJ Wilson. But there's not too many championship teams that have those genuine first-year, second-year players playing major minutes off the bench. The Bucks built a team that has this veteran presence that stays calm in, in tough situations, and there were a few of those, particularly um, on the road in game three and four, and they've come up big. Yeah, I mean, what is the – in terms of NBA – experience is Malcolm Brogdon, I think, the least experienced cog on this team right now and is – what is Brogdon in his fourth year? Yeah. Well, maybe, he, maybe Pat C. 
Yeah, yeah, certainly Connaughton is, is on the, the less experienced side, but I, I just think being there and he's played in playoff games at Oracle with, with Portland um, and Brogdon. Again, this is another thing about the Bucks, and I saw something about this yesterday about uh, you know teams potentially or, or asking the question why teams don't uh, draft four year college players, particularly with second round picks. I mean, we're seeing with Brogdon, yeah, he is by NBA experience uh, relatively young but not by age this guy's this guy's in, in, you know coming into his prime right now he's he is a veteran in terms of basketball experience and a real leader so this team from top to bottom when you look at the age profile of the team they're right where you want to be for for a championship contender yeah and Connaughton in his fourth NBA season but 26 he came out uh older as well and mm-hmm. before even this year he had 13 playoff games he obviously didn't play a lot in those games especially comparatively but still it's it's not like a, a first or second year guy who's never been there before. I think you're right. I think that matters more than people want to admit. I, I think we're in like this asset driven viewpoint of looking at the league now where, you know, everybody wants the good young players on their rookie deals and everything else. But I mean, if you just have a lot of those guys, you're not going to be a very good team. That's just not how it works. You need those veterans. That's not something that any sort of analytics or shot diets or anything else can replicate. You need guys who have been there before you know it it matters that Giannis and Chris had had a few playoff series together already and they hadn't won the series but honestly all three went to at least six games some hard-fought series they, they've won games in the playoffs before that stuff in my opinion is very consequential it's very important for Milwaukee going forward yeah I think so this is something that we spoke about before the playoffs and it's always been a belief in mine that I don't really believe that you need to go on a long run in the playoffs and lose to learn. I think just having the experience of being there in general and losing, I always think you, you, you learn a lot more from, from losing and, and gain that motivation from that experience. Giannis is in his fourth playoff series now, same with Chris Middleton. So yes, before this year, they hadn't got through the first round, but they'd been there. They'd, they'd, as you said, they'd had some big wins. They'd won on the road in the past. Obviously, you think back to game one against Toronto. Uh, they'd won big game sixes at home when the pressure was on last year against Boston. They've been through some stuff. And when you add to, to that to that real nucleus that the Bucks have got with Giannis, uh, Milits, and Bledsoe, and then you just stack the roster with with veterans that have been there before, I mean, that's... That's the chemistry you need. That's the the formula, I guess, you're looking for when you want to take that next step. And uh, I, I think that you know the big thing for this Bucks team right now. And look, they're only just in the conference finals, and we spoke all year that the bar is raised for this Bucks team. And this isn't this wouldn't be satisfied as a successful year if they lose in the conference finals. They got work to do, but I think the big thing is that they understand that. And they were using the word opportunity a lot last night. George Hill was the one that was really talking about that, saying that they need to take advantage of the opportunity they have. Because while we think that, the, and again, while we think that the Bucks are built to succeed with Giannis and the guys around Giannis for multiple years moving forward, you don't know if they're ever going to be back in a situation as good as this one. Uh, you know, to this point, to have your know, guys coming back from injury. So health-wise, uh, as it currently stands, 60 wins in the regular season, home court in the NBA Finals. You may never get that again. You may never have the best uh, regular season record. Just the chemistry that this team has had, they are built to have guys that are not locker room problems, but will it ever be as good and as close-knit as it is right now with the Bucs? 
There's just so many variables that, yes, you think they're going to contend uh, moving forward, but you don't want to waste this opportunity right now because everything is just going so well. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, look at the last time the Bucks won a title, the only time, in 71. I mean, how easy would it have been then, let's say, if those bullets somehow beat Kareem and the Bucks to just go, oh, well, they'll get we'll more. You know, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be back. And they did go back once, but they never got another one. And, yeah. I mean, that team was, I mean, kind of like this one, historically dominant. So you just, you never know. And I agree. I think there's certainly a pathway set up for the Bucks to be good for a while, but you just don't want to waste any opportunity at a title. I mean, it is, it's the mountaintop. I mean, you do what it takes to win one. Um, I have a, a random question about this series for you. I'm ready. Did you ever discuss with Kyrie that both of you were born in Australia? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I think that I, I've seen some people ask him this before, and I I don't know whether he likes it that much, but certainly in this series, uh, given the Bucks were handling them and how bad he was playing. <laughs> I didn't think it was the right time to, to bring, up, <laughs> bring up Australia. No cute questions about Australia during that, huh? No, I don't think he would have been in the joking mood at any point for me to be like, hey, what's your favorite thing about Australia, man? <laughs> it's probably probably a good point. I was thinking about that all series, I honestly, since like game one, and there wasn't a place for me to work it in. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to clumsily throw it into this one. So I'm kind of fruitless, but I'm, at least people now know I'm, I'm a lot of people probably had no idea. Kyrie Irving, born in Australia, I think on a military base. I don't think could he play for Team Australia? He could. He won't. He won't. <laughs> no, that would be fun though. All right. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, it would be it would be really fun. But I, it, so you didn't know this, but the fact that you brought up Kyrie is good because I really, to be honest, I'm done with the Celtics. I don't want to talk about that mess like for much more in this podcast. But I do want to talk about Kyrie Irving because to me, he's played his last game uh, with the Celtics. Uh, and really, what a disastrous series it was for Kyrie Irving. And, you know, he finishes 37 for 104 from the field. Uh, that's 35%. But after game one, where he had a pretty good game one, he shot 12 for 21. After game one, he was 23 for 83, around 25% from the field. Just an absolute disaster in a series, in the one series that Kyrie Irving had the chance and he said that uh, after game one or game two when, when he was asked by a reporter, are you feeling the pressure being the only all-star in the team for the first time in your career? And he responded, no, I'm not feeling pressure. This, this is what they wanted. This is what I wanted. I want to be in this situation. I don't think you can trust him to be in that situation ever again. If he's your number one guy, I think he's proven he can't carry you to a title. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it's his talent or the talent of this team. I almost wonder if it's more the way he plays because – Game one, like it wasn't I, – I didn't walk away from that game like, oh, Kyrie Irving killed the Bucs. It felt to me like the Celtics killed the Bucs. Mm-hmm. You know, he was moving the ball really well. I mean, we've talked about they have so many playmakers, so many guys who can make shots if, they, if they're in good opportunities. And it just felt like, well, if they're going to be this well-oiled machine with Kyrie conducting, I mean, that's quite the formidable team. And the second it felt like any sort of adversity, and sometimes not even any adversity. I mean, the Celtics would be in a good position, but – there was just so much of Kyrie hunting his own shots. And, I mean, it's it's been, uh, I think, kind of a, a very obvious thing in basketball communities for a while. I mean, that's just not a winning way to play basketball in the postseason, especially against a good team that does move the ball and, and get everyone involved, which, you know, the Bucks didn't do as much of that in game one. I thought after that we were much better and 
sort of spreading the ball around and, and letting everyone shine in their opportunities. So I think Kyrie Irving is a tremendously talented basketball player that, you know, if you made everything about the, the t- relationships with his teammates and the way they all play perfect, that Celtics team probably gives the Bucks a much better series. But I agree with you. I wouldn't want to, you know, take my very good basketball – or not my very good, but my basketball team and just put Kyrie on there and say – go shoot 30 times because there wasn't really a point, especially after game one. He made some great shots in game one. But again, there wasn't really a point when I was like, oh, Kyrie is going to beat us. It's it's the Kyrie show. When it became the Kyrie show, that's when the Bucks took the series. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I, I think it's been evident all season. And the Celtics just look better when he's not playing. <laughs> and that – that is not a good a good thing to or not a good assessment to come to when you're talking about the guy that is supposed to be your your superstar. Uh, Irving finishes last night only 15 points, six for 21 from the field. He was a team worst minus 25 in his 33 minutes. It was just a disaster. And there's something I tweeted this morning, and this is where I'm at with Kyrie now. And it's been something that I've been thinking all through the year. When you compare the best players on each team in this series, so Irving and obviously Giannis with the Bucks, Giannis is like LeBron in the way that anyone that plays with Giannis is better for playing next to him. He makes everyone better. He involves everyone in the game. And even last night when he wasn't uh, you know, getting his own, guys were getting open looks from three, either directly from his assists or just from him simply being on the floor. I can't think of one player on this Celtics roster that at any point looked better because Kyrie Irving was on the floor. If anything, you felt that they were going to be able to do more damage and get good looks when he's on the bench. And I, I, I just, I mean, you can't, you can't win if that's the case. And I do think that Kyrie Irving, we've seen him obviously in Cleveland be incredible next to LeBron. And it makes me think that if Kyrie Irving was playing with a guy like Giannis, then he would be a much more valuable player. He wouldn't have the ball in his hands so much. He wouldn't be dribbling the ball as much. He's actually a, a really dangerous shooter. If you get him off the ball and moving moving around, I could imagine him with Giannis being a really effective player. But as your number one guy, I don't think he can be, he can be that anymore. And I think this has been a, a pretty eye-opening uh, series for probably himself internally, Celtics fans, uh, and, and maybe everyone around the league. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough summer for, for Kyrie to bounce back from that one. But... When you look back to the other to the other Bucks players and and the two guys uh, that we wanted outside of Giannis to really stand up, Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, both played really well last night. Middleton ends up uh, plus twenty nine in his thirty four minutes. Bledsoe was plus twenty seven. Uh, Nineteen points for Middleton, eighteen for Bledsoe. How did you assess? I guess the the number two and three options for the Bucks through through this series. I really like that it's in this game. I mean, Chris has been, I think, pretty terrific all throughout. I liked in this game, especially his shot really not falling five for 15 from the field, two for six from three, but he got himself to the line seven times and converts all of those to get seven more points that way and get him to nearly 20, which in this game was, was obviously enough. I I thought probably without looking, maybe his quietest game, but I, I still thought he made a big impact and obviously the plus minus backs that up and, a lot of that's without Giannis, or not a lot, but a, a decent amount. So I, I think he certainly made an impact. And then I thought Bledsoe was terrific. I think a lot of what was said by the uh, commentary duo, which Milwaukee was unfortunate enough to have in what felt like every game in this series, was uh, less than worth listening to. One nugget from uh, Chris Rubber I did like was after Bledsoe drove, and I think he said something like, 
He needs to do that pretty much every time, cut down on these jump shots. He's strong and physical enough to get in there around the paint and, and make something happen, and I agree with that. Uh, some of Bledsoe's three-point shooting has made me cringe. He was two for five uh, last night, which is fine, but a lot of early shot clock pull-up threes. It, it felt like for him probably not you know, actually a lot, but all of them seem like the first one feels like one too many to me just because this Bucks team has so many better players to shoot the ball, and I just think there's such a difference, and I'd love to see the numbers on this. I don't know if they're easily available, but the difference between – you know, uh, a three-pointer a few seconds in the shot clock when the ball has worked around a bit as opposed to a three-pointer either early or very late when nothing's happening. You just kind of jack one up. Those are the threes I really don't like. And But Bledsoe got inside more. I mean, nine of his 14 shots coming from two-point range, which is good. And uh, I thought defensively, as always, he made a, a real impact. Yeah, I and I, again, I, I think that the, the important thing for Bledsoe and, and I mean, Milton, I feel like we don't talk about Milton enough and, and what he did in this series, particularly early in the series when it really was on the line. His last two games, he struggled just with his shot a little bit. But by that point, uh, the Bucks had the Celtics sort of mentally mentally beat and the damage was done. But for Bledsoe, such an important series for him uh, to bounce back after last year and try and get rid of some of those uh, mental demons that he can say whatever he wants, but they had to be there. And... Uh, I, I thought that, you know, when he was on the floor, he harassed Kyrie Irving, Terry Rozier, the same same thing when they were out there. And I really like his aggressiveness. And no, his shot didn't always fall. And obviously, um, you know, that the, the game in Boston, game four, where he, he really struggled to, to shoot the ball, the Bucks still get a win. Uh, game three, sorry, that was. The Bucks still get a win. Uh, I just like that he, he remained aggressive because, as I've sort of said a few times, he just controls the tempo of this offense. And as much as Giannis is the leader and your number one guy, when Bledsoe is pushing the ball uh, and really getting uh, physical and aggressive defensively, good things just happen. Whether it's a turnover that turns into an open dunk for Giannis, whether it's uh, Bledsoe getting into the paint and either finishing or kicking out to a shooter, when Bledsoe is aggressive and really getting physical and getting to his spots and not being passive and sort of just fading into the background, the Bucks are really, really hard to beat. So, numbers-wise, not you know it wasn't his best series by any stretch, but I just thought the signs were really, really positive for him moving forward into the conference finals. And for the Bucks to win this and him to contribute in that clinching game, uh, I think is just really, really big for him. Uh, you know, from that mental standpoint that I said. Yeah, and then the other, I suppose, positive when it comes to Bledsoe is there's no more Celtics games left this postseason. I think mm-hmm. I don't think there's any sort of demons that he has in regards to any other team. So obviously now Bledsoe's got the Celtics out of the way. The Bucks have their their the Bucks killing Suns out of the way. So from here, yeah. I think it's going to be more more straight up basketball, which is always a positive in a world that I think focuses a little too much on off the court things sometimes. Yeah, well, I I, I think. You know, if you want to look forward to the next series, and and like you said, we'll touch on this at the end of the podcast, but potentially Toronto. I mean, Eric Bledsoe loves playing on Kyle Lowry. Yeah. I mean, if the Bucks get the Raptors, Kyle Lowry might not sleep at all before that series starts. He will be not feeling good about that because Bledsoe has owned him all season. And the tough thing with the Bucks is. Once Bledsoe goes to the bench, you don't get a rest because you've just got George Hill coming out to play on you. 
part of that bench unit again last night. Have we got? What else have we even got to say about these bench? The, the bench trio of Pat, uh, George Hill, and Ursan, and how big they were in this series. Um, I don't know if I have anything else on those three, just because, like you said, they've been so so consistently good. I mean, I'm still eating crow on Pat C, which I'm totally fine with. Props to him for proving me wrong. I do have a stat I just pulled up from uh, my friend, definitely your friend, Eric Name, Bledsoe versus the Elite Guards. Do you remember this table he did? Yeah. I love this table. So Kyle Lowry normally is a 14.5 point per game player against the Bucks, 6.3 points on 23% from the field this season. So that's uh, not bad. Um, no, it's uh, well. It's, it's bad for common. him. It's bad for Lowry. I should be specific. It's it's not bad for the Bucks. It's pretty bad for Kyle Lowry. Yeah, and and we've already seen that Lowry's had some struggles. Obviously, a scoreless game against Orlando in the first round. He just does not like. I, I mean, he doesn't like the the spotlight of the playoffs. There's no other way to put that. So you know, for for this Raptors team that is so deep, and I always talk about their depth. Uh, that's that's going to be a major concern moving forward if they're able to get past. Uh, get past the the Sixers in either Game Six or Game Seven. Uh, I think that we need to talk about the guy that came back last night, uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Long awaited return for him. Uh, I, I just and I'll let you start, but I have to say this was a really impressive return for Brogdon. Sixteen minutes, ten points, four for eight from the field. Hits a three, one for three. Uh, from the outside there, gets three rebounds, four assists as well, zero turnovers, plus 14. It's quite the return. The guy blocked a shot in his first game back in like three months. I thought it was a, a tremendous return. He didn't make all the shots, which you kind of expect. I like that. I think for Brogdon, this was kind of a shot-happy return of the fold, which I thought was good. I mean, I tweeted something about this during the, the fourth quarter, but Bucks are just so spoiled at this point to be so good that you can use Game Five of a Eastern Conference Semis playoff game as basically like a a sandbox for Brogdon to practice in. I mean, that's what this game became. I think maybe not most, but a good amount of his run, if not most, came in the fourth quarter. And at that point, it was like, well, Malcolm, go get comfortable because this lead is more than safe, and we can use the rest of this game just to see how you're doing. The team played well with him, like you said, four assists in 17 minutes, so he was facilitating. Not just shooting, certainly not chucking, but I'm super glad he got to take some shots in the rhythm of a game. And I mean, I'm even glad if some of them fell. That must be a nice confidence booster for him heading into the next series. Yeah, there's a couple of things I, I thought that, and I've sort of said, we've been watching him at practice. Uh, I've been watching him before games and he, he's been looking really good off the dribble and getting to his usual spots. But I was curious to see whether he was going to settle uh, for jump shots, or he would have that confidence. I think that was going to be a big indicator for how good he was actually feeling. Uh, I think that, um, you know, after a little bit of a rusty start, he missed a couple of shots. I thought in the third quarter in particular, he got a couple of those reverse layups in, which is just uh, trademark Brogdon. I thought that was really, really good to see. And the other positive, I, I think, is that he checked out early in the fourth quarter there. And I thought that we probably wouldn't see any more of him no matter what happened. I know the game was a blowout, and and you might think, well, I mean, of course he played. It was a blowout. But I think the fact that he actually came back in after having that other stint is a really good sign. I think he's in good shape. I think that uh, the the number one thing is that the medical staff are obviously very comfortable with him playing because he wouldn't have come back out there if they were concerned about that. So I think that's good. He played 16 minutes, as I said. 
it's going to be interesting to see where this sort of this sort of ends up because Bledsoe has been for the most part uh, uh, been kept under thirty minutes in the playoffs. A lot of that has to do with with a lot of blowouts for the Bucks, but also has a lot to do with how well George Hill is playing. So that that sort of three headed guard monster of Bledsoe, uh, George Hill, and Brogdon is pretty damn scary for for opposition teams. Yeah, I do wonder if this is going to be part of the end of the extended Patsy experience. Like, I think he did his job very admirably, but if Brogdon is feeling good and getting ready to get back in the mix, and I, I suppose a lot of it depends too on if, if you want to keep Nico starting or not. That's a whole other conversation, but it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how Bud handles this excellent problem of having too many guys who are playing well right now. Yeah, and and too many and and this is something we touched on at right now that they will be a minutes crunch and we saw in games that were closer that Giannis did play up in the in the higher thirties. Uh, many question whether that's something Bud will ever do, but clearly he's going to play Giannis maximum minutes if that's what he needs to do to win a game. So those minutes are going to come under a crunch, and it's just crazy that we're talking about all these guys and maybe the guys playing are going to see a, a minute dip. Sterling Brown, Tony Snell, DJ Wilson can't even get on the floor right now. So that's where the Bucks' depth uh, is at at the moment. Um, uh, again, like I said, uh, and we can we can go into the starting lineup a little bit. I, I do think that a positive for Brogdon is, and this is something we always sort of see uh, with guys coming back from long-term injuries, sometimes the second game back is when the fatigue really cuts in. And they struggle a little bit. The, the the adrenaline that you can get from that return, particularly being at home and the Bucks were rolling, can really carry you through. Uh, so we'll have to see how Brogdon pulls up today. But the bonus of that and, and something that's going to sort of eradicate that normal situation is that the Bucks are going to have at least until Monday off, uh, potentially Wednesday, if if Sixers Raptors goes to Game Seven. So he's going to get a lot of recovery time here, which is a bonus. I do get the sense that he's probably going to continue to come off the bench at least for a couple of games. And then we'll see what happens after that. But Miritich has been such a great contributor, particularly on the glass last night. Four offensive rebounds, 11 rebounds altogether. He picks up uh, three assists, a couple of steals, and a block uh, to go with 10 points. And Miritich right now, uh, he's starting to become that guy, consistently that guy that, that the Bucks thought they were, they were trading for. Yeah, I have a, a Miritich thought. I have another thought. I have thoughts on two guys with beards. One's a Celtic. We might not get to it. But first, I mean, let's talk about Harry's if we're going to talk about guys with beards. I mean, everyone here knows, of course, that Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. You guys are all on the up and up with that. So it's very important to everyone that, you know, you can go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save 10 whole dollars, 10 American dollars on a value trial set. And that trial set includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I mean, this would be perfect for, I mean, Kyrie Irving. He's going to be traveling around to different New York franchises, seeing where he's going to play. He could use the travel blade cover for that. He's got some facial hair there. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's because they fix shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Honestly, aren't we all? They bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. You, too, listener, 
can join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. It's 10 million. That's not that much on NBA salaries, but it's a lot of people. You can claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund one more time. Harry's.com slash bluewire. Get your razor set for just $3. The beard guys I want to talk about. Yeah, you, you can go. You can go straight into Miritich. Uh, I probably, I mean, Aaron Baines. Uh, I just at this point, I wouldn't even bother. The Celtics is done. He's yeah. gone. He's going back to my homeland. I don't know why he started. I know that's what you wanted to I get just, to. I don't it get was it. Strange to me. It was strange to me, but uh, what do, the, in, in terms of Miritich starting? I, I think that's what you're going to get to. Yeah, and we we're obviously going to preview this series a lot more in our next episode, but. What's the, your early thoughts? I think, see, I I, I, I instinctually kind of thought ahead, like, oh, is Toronto going to start Serge and Mark Gasol, or what are they going to do? But I, I don't actually think it's that wise to start out adjusting. I think the Celtics did that, and they, they kind of had themselves backed in a corner to a spot where, you know, they had to, I guess, panic start Aaron Baines, which I, I won't get into it, I promise, but it's dumb. It was dumb. Um, I, I, I'm kind of... I like the way the starting unit with Miritich has played. I think that size, I mean, you mentioned some of the rebounding. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, we're going to see if it's Toronto, you know, another another five who is going to be able to take shots but probably doesn't want to take a ton of threes in Marc Gasol. Uh, but I think Miritich has showed, in addition to everything else, and his shot wasn't always falling, which I think there's room for him and honestly a lot of the Bucks to improve. I don't think – Many Bucks had a terrific series outside of those bench players. I think everyone could be a lot better. But he wasn't a sieve defensively, even though he usually was guarding perimeter players. I mean, before the weird Bane start, I mean, it was Horford at center, and then it, uh, Miritich would find himself on, like, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or Gordon Hayward or someone like that. And I just think him not being uh, a complete sieve, not being exposed there, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He's not a lockdown defender on those guys, but – I think that kind of said a lot to me about him being able to play more. And then you get those rebounds, extra chances for guys like Giannis and all the Bucks shooters. I mean, I think it's a, a good recipe, especially as Brogdon sort of eases back into it to keep him starting. Yeah, I, I think that you, you touched on a good point. I, I thought that, and this is, it's it's funny because, you know, when Miritich was first traded to Milwaukee, I was talking to him and uh, we, we spoke a little bit about the, the team's defense and, he was very, very quick, and he's done this on multiple occasions. He's been very, very quick to to remind uh, me and, and and other other people that hey, I know you guys think that I can just shoot, and I can score. I like defending, and I trust my defensive ability. And the other earlier in the series when Miritich did start, uh, and and the Bucks were switching uh, on defense for the first time, and in, in the postseason, uh, Miritich got a big smile on his face and said, oh, yeah. He's like, I love that. He's like, I like showing that I can do this. And if the small guys want to, want to come at me, then I enjoy the challenge and I want the challenge. So, uh, I yeah, I, I don't think the – I think the Bucks actually present a lot of challenges on the opposition when they go big. Um, we've seen that through the regular season, sometimes through necessity where they had to go big through that, that you know, really rough patch of, of injuries they had there. And defensively, they have a lot of success because the big guys in the Bucks are actually really mobile and able to move their feet. Uh, 
clearly they, they cause problems getting into the passing lanes. The opposition can't get into the paint and get what they want. And they, they force the opposition into becoming a jump shooting team, which is what the Bucks want you to do. So I sort of agree. And I also think that it doesn't really matter for this Bucks team who eventually starts. I think the minutes are going to be similar. I think Brogdon's a guy that when he's healthy, will play minutes down the stretch because he's been such a big shot maker in close games. You can really trust him. He's been clutch his whole career. So I don't think starting really matters, but I tend to agree with you. I, I think that uh, we're going to see a lot more of those those bigger lineups, and I think Miritich will probably start for at least the start of the conference finals. Yeah, and uh, I certainly have no opposition to that. The one other Miritich thing I wanted to talk about, this is a lineup I believe Zach Lowe, I think, tweeted about. Uh, obviously not a possible lineup until last night, but Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, Miritich played – According to NBA.com, 4.8 minutes, so, you know, five-ish minutes. In those five-ish minutes, shot 55% from the field, 60% from three, and all three of its free throws converted. Scored 16 points and gave up two for a, a positive differential of 14, or six, 14 points plus 14. That, to me, seems like a lineup that has a whole lot of potential. I mean, we saw – I still didn't think Brooke Lopez was any useless in this series. I mean – for the entire five games, I think he was like minus 1.6 per 100 possessions, so a little better. Uh, Bucks were outscored a little bit with him on the floor. They were really good with him off the floor. I don't think Brooke Lopez is by any means done, but having this other lineup to have uh, throw out there for the Bucks that seems like, you know, you talk about switching, this lineup could switch just about everything. I mean, that having more options, more groups like that is never a bad thing. I will say that. No, no, I will say that for the Bucks. Uh... You know, outside of Game 5, they really didn't start games well in this series. And that's certainly for Lopez, who who in general is a guy that starts uh, and his minutes are always sort of kept on the the lower end of the scale. So I don't think the start of games really helped that those those sort of uh, numbers or ratings for him. Uh, uh, You know, obviously Lopez, a really rough night last night, 0 for 7 from the the field, all from the three-point line. Uh, he has five fouls. He didn't didn't get a rebound, only the one assist, the turnover. So not a great night for Lopez. But I will say earlier in the game, I thought that his, his shot taking, even though he wasn't making uh, the shots, really set the tempo when the Bucks were able to get going and, and fire up those threes. So you would have loved to see a couple of them go. But I certainly uh, didn't have a problem with him shooting, as we've seen all year. He, sometimes he has nights like this. And then game one, uh, the conference finals, he might come out and be five for eight. Uh, and, and hit everything. That's that's sort of the way it's gone for Lopez all year. But we've sort of uh, we're pushing the, the time limits here. So I, I guess you know the Bucks obviously have a few days off now. But uh, the Sixers and Raptors heading into Game Six tonight uh, in uh, Philadelphia. Do you who you think just quickly? You think the Raptors are, are coming through? Yeah, I think if they don't win tonight, they will win Game Seven. But uh, I just. I think I've said this on here before. I certainly would rather have the Bucks play the Sixers, but I think either way, I, I still will favor Milwaukee in the series. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment from what we've seen, uh, not only in the regular season, but through the playoffs now. Uh, as the Bucks get through to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001, and while all these other series are heading into at least a Game 6, the Bucks. Uh, back to work on the practice court, uh, getting ready for whether it will be Toronto or Philadelphia. So just a reminder, uh, game one of the conference finals will be at Fiserv Forum 
on Monday night if the Raptors beat the Sixers in six. If that series goes to seven games, then game one will be on Wednesday. So either Monday or Wednesday for the Bucks for the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals. But me and Ty will be back before then. Uh, once we find out who we're playing, we're going to really uh, go through that series with the fine-tooth comb before it all begins. But Ty, uh, the Bucks really rolling now, feeling pretty good about themselves and continue their push to something special. But we will talk again in a couple of days. And thanks for uh, spending your lunch break with me. Yeah, I mean, who needs food when you can derive sustenance from, <laughs> you know, talking about the box? I mean, this is truly the most effective diet plan of all. <laughs> uh, thank you, uh, as always, Kane, for taking the time, sharing your, your wise, sage insights with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, of course, you can subscribe if you haven't already, and you should. Uh, check out other episodes. You know, Get episodes right as they drop. Rate and review on iTunes is your platform of choice. I mean, we're on a lot of them. Spotify, I know that's where I listen to podcasts. I think we're on a few others, too. But, yeah, keep on supporting everybody, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon as we prepare for this next round.